Dotnet Rocks, episode 1096, with guest Corey House. Recorded Thursday, January 29th, 2015. Hey, Richard. Hey, buddy. You know what I just saw pop up on Skype? What? It's an ad that says, thanks. Your feedback helps us improve your ad experiences. Signed, <laughs> Microsoft. <laughs> what is that? Is that an ad? Thank you. I mean, what? And at the top, it says advertisement. <laughs> your fee- I didn't give you any feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Just speaking of non sequiturs, how are you go. doing? It's .NET Rocks, man. You know, it's nice and sunny and cool here. How is it for you? It's freaking snowing here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the blizzpocalypse came true, did it? Yeah, snowpocalypse, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Winter Storm Juno did dump uh, two and a half feet of snow Wow, where I live, which is on the coast, you know, New London area. Mm-hmm. And um, of all of the municipalities in Connecticut, ours got the most. So congratulations, but you know, we had two full tanks of oil, heating oil. Yeah. We have a generator. We have city water. So we weren't in danger of anything like that. Did you lose power? Didn't lose power. Of course not. You have a generator. So you'll never lose power again. But you know, the craziest thing was, um, you know, after we realized everything would be shut down, I I called up my daughter who's at school at uh, college and I said, hey, you're probably not going to have college for a couple of days. Why don't you come weather it out with us? She said, yeah. She comes down on train. My other daughter who lives with her mom comes up and stays with us. And my wife's daughter, my stepdaughter, she invites her boyfriend. So we basically had a house full of kids for three days. Wow. Her boyfriend was a little befuddled. I'm not sure. You know, he was sort of he was hanging out with them, and every once in a while, he'd look longingly over at the table, you know, the breakfast nook where Kelly and I are sitting and working and having adult conversation. He'd look like, <sighs> you know, like, <laughs> like he wanted to just sit down and talk with us, right? But instead, he's you know, nails and hair and this, and that, <laughs> Facebook and blah blah blah. Three girls, man. Yeah. So anyway, we survived, That's and funny. after. Two and a half days, Kelly was like, I'm getting stir crazy. You're taking me out now. Let's get out of here. Yeah. But uh, we had guys shovel our driveway. Oh, it was just great. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess there's no time to ask you how you're doing. We'll do that on the next show. One of the other ones. You bet. All right. Well, it's time to roll the Better Know Framework music because what I got, more hippa than what you got. All right, what do you got? HoloLens, baby. Right. Yeah. It's news. It's serious news. Uh, At a Windows 10 event a couple of weeks ago, or last week, I guess, I'm trying to do the time shift here, but uh, Microsoft talked about Windows 10, and one of those pieces was this crazy thing from the same guy who brought us the Kinect, that team, HoloLens. We're talking holograms here. So go to tinyurl.com slash mshololens, H-O-L-O, lens, like holodeck, hologram, right? So here's what I know about this. And the video, by the way, I have confirmed from a, an insider, and I'm not going to name names, a few things about this. The video is pretty much right spot on for the experience of using this thing. So if you think, 
no, that can't be, you know, that's just a video that's doctored up. No, no, no. The videos that you'll see there are just amazing. It basically combines the digital world with your world. So unlike Google Glass, however, it it projects holograms directly on your retinas with this transparent goggle set. Uh, it's not a little LCD screen. You don't have to shift your gaze. You see holograms in your real space, and they stay because it tracks your body. And I've learned things from talking to insiders, and I can't... Again, this isn't NDA stuff. This is all public knowledge. It manages spatial tracking of your body itself. So all the objects you place in your environment stay in place, even after you walk out of the room, then back in. And we're talking, you could throw a screen on the wall and watch a movie. You could have objects floating in space, and you can interact with those objects with speech and with gestures. Now, here's one really cool thing that you may not know but I don't think is under NDA. And I don't know, because I, I don't know anything about this. I just heard a rumor, right? So it looks like it's going to be in full swing by June. And Microsoft has said they're going to do a lot of talking about it at Build. So what do you think the giveaway is going to be at Build? Hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean... It's all speculation. I yeah. have no idea. We don't know how expensive the thing's going to be. I'm worried about the SDK, yeah. just because consistently msr with all of their cool products whether you talk about uh surface which became pixel sense mm -hmm. connect so forth the sdk became the stumbling block yeah so that's right uh, i hope they can get it right it's interesting it'll i'm, I'm just uh, augmented reality has been one of those future things that is really really challenging and, and maybe this is it i've also got a confirmation that it's a totally self-contained computing device nice there are no tethering requirements and uh, again, there's no screen. It's pretty, pretty awesome. It will. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a heck of a build. Oh my god! And we're in, right? We're going. I'm going. I don't know if you're going. I'm registered. I'm registered. Well, I'm then going. I guess we're going. Yeah. See you there. All right. All right. That's enough of the crazy intro. And I, I'm sorry, but we needed to talk about this. Okay. But uh, anyway, Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show nine nine seven, the one we did with one Corey House. Never heard of him. Where? Yeah, me neither where we talked about real-world single-page applications. Yeah. And this comment comes from a certain Rob Eisenberg. Oh. And this was uh, in relation to a conversation during the show where we were talking about Durandal and Angular, and, you know, the fact that Angular was going to version 2, and lots of, and it was breaking revision, and so, you know, there's people thinking, I just want to stay with one, what's going to happen? And, uh, and this is the point where Mr. Eisenberg was working with uh, Angular, and he said, just an FYI on Durandal and Angular, for anyone who comes by here, both Angular 1.x and Durandal 2.x are committed to continuing to mainstay support. Yeah. In fact, I just did a release on Durandal for June 8th, and that's June 8th of 2014. I'm planning another release in the next couple of weeks as well, and when Angular 2 releases, I will be maintaining Durandal so that it continues to work with new browsers and stays compatible with its dependent libraries, which are jQuery, Knockout, and requires JS. Yeah. Uh, all good stuff, and tomorrow's show for February 5th will actually be with Mr. Eisenberg. We're going to talk about some more changes in that space. That's right, and you know what's really interesting is we've got all these tweets for people who don't actually go to the .netrocks.com website and look at the upcoming shows. They're like, you got to get Rob Eisenberg back on. Are you yeah. really going to? Yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. We know. 
(laughs) (laughs) So, Rob, I mean, I'll tell you now on this show, and I'll tell you again on the next show, thank you so much for your comment and for the additional information. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps, because we've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And before we go any further, let me tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer, IT admin, and creative training online. They have thousands of technology and creative training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts and .NET Rocks guests, of course. And they offer still a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training courses, including coverage of HTML5, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including several courses by Corey House. Try Pluralsight today. Never heard of him. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And now, just in case you've never heard of Corey House, Corey is founder of BitNative LLC, an agile software development and training consultancy, and creator of OutlierDeveloper.com, a blog for software developers who aspire to be exceptional. He is a Pluralsight author, as we just mentioned, a Microsoft MVP in C Sharp, an ASP insider, a member of the Telerik Developer Experts, Ineta speaker, and independent consultant with 15 years of experience in full-stack software development. As a software architect at AutoTrader, Corey specializes in creating C-sharp, .NET, and JavaScript-based single-page apps for the automotive industry. He regularly speaks and coaches teams on clean code, architecture, and software career development at conferences and user groups across the country and internationally. Corey's authored multiple Pluralsight courses, including Clean Code, Writing Code for Humans, and Architecting Applications for the Real World in .NET. And becoming an outlier. Corey blogs at bitnative.com and outlierdeveloper.com and is active on Twitter as at house core. Woo. That's a big one. So uh, now do you remember who Corey House is? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's 997 was that show we did. One I really enjoyed just talking about making, living with the automotive community's challenges while trying to build a really modern style of app. That was episode 997? Yeah. You know, I had a band called 997. What did they play? I don't know. We never got a gig. <laughs> 97. <laughs> but a boom. Okay. Hey, Corey, how are you doing? Hi there, guys. I'm doing great. You know, my wife wanted to come down here and crash the show, So, um, <laughs> but unfortunately, the weather said no. Uh, I'll yeah. take that as a compliment that you wanted to be here. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, had our share of hanging out at these conferences and really enjoyed our conversations. Absolutely. And speaking of conversations, we're going to have one about web components. That's the big idea. Yeah, it is a big idea. And, you know, you talk to guys like Billy Hollis, who love XAML. And one of the reasons they love it is because everything is reusable and pluggable and, you know, in one place. Whereas on the web, there's three places for stuff, isn't there? There's HTML, there's JavaScript, and there's CSS. Right. And so typically a component, if you will, spans all three of those things. And so it's not so easy to just say, oh, I want to reuse that code. Mm-hmm. That has been the struggle for a very long time. And what's interesting is how so many people are being successful, but doing so in very different ways today. 
And I think that's what really gets me excited about web components is finally having this standard where we could all get in a room and talk about components and understand that we're following the same recipe and that we're being successful using the same techniques and the same APIs. I think that I think about all the years in web development and how we end up often reinventing the wheel just because we've moved from one framework to another. It's it's a wonderful future to think about us being able to leverage things that that aren't specific to a given vendor's view of the world. Or a tool, you know, <laughs> or developer platform or whatever. Yes. Is, is it really possible? I mean, is it happening? Can we do this today? So this is happening. You can do it today. Now, given the people that can do this today are the lucky people who are writing for Chrome and Opera um, in particular. Now, you can use polyfills. There's a polyfill out there um, called webcomponents.js. And if you mm-hmm. want more info on that, you can go out to webcomponents.org. And uh, this polyfill gives basically support to evergreen browsers. Now, your view of evergreen browsers is still, uh, I, I have not seen the canonical list that says this is an evergreen browser. But most yeah. people feel like latest rev of IE, latest revs of Chrome, Opera, Firefox, Safari are considered our evergreen list at the moment. So is there any, any uh, word from Microsoft as to what their stance is about web components? Why don't they have anything here? Do they plan to? Any, any ideas about that? Well, so I've been paying close attention to the, uh, I can't remember what IE uses to gain feedback from people, to, to pull in feedback. I don't believe they use user voice, but they have their own version that is like user voice that allows people to go out and vote for the features that they'd like to see in the next version of Internet Explorer. Yeah. And if you go out there and look, what you'll find is people are really excited about web components. And those are the features that are getting a huge number of votes. In particular, things like Shadow DOM and custom element support really are resonating with people. And it looks like uh, from, from what we can see right now, it looks highly likely that we're going to see support in the foreseeable future. But what's unclear is exactly what version of Internet Explorer is going to add support for native web components. But they've not said, no, this isn't something we're interested in. We're going to do our own thing. They haven't said that. Really, all, all the information that we seem to be getting from the outside is that they're, they're listening, that they're interested, that they're on board. It's really just a question of when, not if. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I mean, you know, in, uh, I'm not so sure that we can trust that that's the only reason, right? <laughs> um, I don't, I don't have any reason not to trust them because, hey, you know, they're completely trustworthy about what they plan to do, right? But, you know, maybe they're keeping their options open to see how maybe something they've, they've been developing themselves now needs to be scrapped or integrated or something like that. I mean, it might be one of those things. It's a really interesting time for the IE team right now. Right. I think part of this is the politics internal to Microsoft around what's happening with Internet Explorer and Windows 10, the whole Spartan initiative. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can imagine if there's a wrestling match going on inside of Microsoft, you can't make public announcements until that stuff gets settled. You mentioned the Spartan initiative. What's that? Is there a new browser? Corey, are you into this Spartan? Oh, I'm excited about Spartan. I think this could really be a game changer. Talk to us, man. I'd, I'd love to get your take on it. So w- when you talk to anybody that's on the IE team, I think one common frustration that, that they've had to deal with all these years is they have to think about legacy support. And yeah. because of that legacy support, IE has always 
been Held saddled back. with with some things that other browsers don't really have to worry about. Yeah. And you know, you look at at Chrome for instance and Chrome has been able to rev so so quickly because yeah. they just started from from nowhere and said, "Hey, we will rapidly um, respond to whatever we think makes sense, wherever the direction we see the web going. And in fact, even being very proactive about that and helping drive standards. But the way I've heard it described is that IE, the latest version of IE literally has every single IE parser in it from five, five forward, except for six. Hmm. Right. Which it is at some point you got to think that's a big browser. Absolutely. So you think Spartan is actually ditching all of that? So from what I can tell so far, that seems to be the idea. That's that's the reason we have the new name, the new branding, and the really the hope that then they can enjoy a lot of the same freedom that these other browsers that they're competing with enjoy. Something that is separated from that commitment to far, far back legacy support. And so from what I'm seeing is we're going to see them sitting side by side. And the the things that I haven't heard yet, and I don't know if you guys have, is what will be the default browser experience in Windows 10? Which right. will fire up when you load your first URL? And I'd love to hear that it's going to be Spartan. MJ Foley, Mary Jo Foley just did a post uh, the past few days where she was talking about, yeah, there's going to be both browsers. IE11 is going to continue to be supported. Um, but it's going to depend on the version of Windows that you're running. Hmm. So you can imagine, I could see, and I'm speculating here, that Windows 10 Enterprise Edition might default to the other browser. Hmm. Although as soon as I'm in an enterprise, there's group policy. And so I can basically mandate, you'll be using this version. It's the regular mortal browser. But I got to think of the consumer version. They would want Spartan. What do they care? Yeah, that's true. The most exciting thing to me about the whole Spartan conversation is uh, using Chrome extensions. Oh, absolutely. Well, and... That's what really surprised me was saying, we're just going to embrace this ecosystem that's already out here because correct me if I'm wrong, they can just, you can take Chrome extensions right off the shelf and use them within Spartan. That's what right. I've been hearing. And that that's makes so much sense to me. And you, so you already have this great ecosystem and all these people that are enjoying Chrome don't have to worry about walking away from all these extensions that they enjoy today. Yeah. Well, you know, it seems obvious then to me that uh, if they're going to do web components, they're not going to do it in IE. They'll do it in Spartan. That's my speculation as well. And uh, it's interesting because the only visibility that we have right now is what people are really asking for within IE. And I'll be interested to see whether they end up forking that as well and basically having two sort of user voice setups where, where people are probably more fixated on, let's get these features into Spartan Right. rather than than what comes in IE in the future. I think I think it'll be interesting to see how they manage IE going forward. Will it stay more static? Will they continue to add in new cutting edge features to IE as well? Yeah. That, that's been unclear to me so far. I wouldn't see any reason why they wouldn't take the Spartan engine and also have that in IE. The same way that they have every other engine for you know then right. uh, the IE instance is simply your legacy collection that covers every version, including the latest one. Mm -hmm. Well, they, you know what, though? There may be reasons why they're creating a new browser is because they're held back. They can't do both in one browser. That may be the problem. But um, what what is the experience of developing with web components? And just give me a – don't give me a your future Visual Studio experience. Let's just talk about I've got an HTML page. I've got a JavaScript 
JS file, and I've got a CSS document. Wh how does it work just at the text level? Okay, well, so web components are really a suite of four core technologies, and it's the way that you glue these four together that really dictates your development experience. So those four core technologies are templates, custom elements, the shadow DOM, and imports. Okay. And the way that you work with web components, it's not that you have to use all four of these technologies to build a component, although in most cases you're going to find all of them useful. And when I was learning web components, the thing that I that hit me right away was that I had all these pain points that were suddenly getting removed. Um, like I find it helpful comparing the development experience of web components with the development experience that we have today when we're building components. Now, are you talking about the experience of building a web component or the experience of using one? Because I'm talking about the experience of using one. What's that like? Oh, so the experience of using one is really luxurious because what you find is if someone is using HTML5 imports, which is basically a feature that allows you to bundle up HTML, JavaScript, and CSS into a one-liner and say, here is a set of assets, and I give that set of assets a name, mm. and then I just put a single line at the top of my HTML file, and I have pulled in all of those assets. So it's, it's a bit like a, a using statement uh, or an import statement. Wow. Um, depending on what you're a Java or C Sharp guy. That's great. Yeah. And th this is what's what I love about it is now you have this standardized way to consume a component. It's very declarative. And you could look at the top of your file and see all the different components that you're using. So as a consumer, it's add that single line. And then once you've added that line, you could just put an HTML tag on the page. Maybe, maybe that component was a user avatar component where all you have to do is put a user dash avatar tag on the screen and then add an attribute that might provide the necessary metadata, which for an avatar would probably be someone's uh, gravatar, some, maybe their email address, for instance. And it would take that and then render. So it's two lines of code to get all of that goodness. Which is the whole reason we use components in general, right? I don't want that code hanging around. I just want to reference it. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So the consumption story is really cool. And what I love about this is, yes, so, so browser support is still on its way, but everything that is part of the web component spec runs like a top in Chrome and Opera already. And Firefox is close on its heels, has just a few open issues here. So I think we're going to see browser support come in pretty quickly uh, to fill in these gaps. The next year or two is going to be very interesting. Okay, so now I'm, you know, I don't want to say I'm Rob Eisenberg, but I mean, I'm a guy building a, a library. How do I make it web componentable? <laughs> well, so that's, that's going to be the really interesting question over uh, the, these next few years, because what you're seeing already is the existing framework developers taking inspiration wherever they can from the web component specification. And for, for example, you look at uh, what Steve Sanderson has done with uh, knockout components. Yes. And I really have been happy with what they've done. We've, we've been using that in production for a few months. And what they did was we said, okay, 
Knockout is a library that strives to go all the way back to IE6, has all this yep. legacy support, but there's no reason that we can't look at the web component specification and take some pieces of that and try to honor them. So for instance, with Knockout components, when you create a component, you put a dash in the name. So that's just one of the ways that you start preparing for the future because web components, by definition, have to have a dash in the name. That dash is a signal to the browser that says, hey, this is a custom element, treat it differently. Cool. And so yeah, I think you're going to see more of that too. We look at uh, what's going on with uh, Angular and Angular 2.0 and looking at how directives might shift in the future. Will there be some sort of a, a maturing of that process that ends up taking a lot of pieces from the web component standard and morphing that into what directives look like in the future? Because the longer term vision is that whether you're using uh, Angular or React or Knockout, whatever it may be, that more and more those libraries and frameworks are going to be really an abstraction layer over the top of a standard, perhaps right. providing you sugar, providing you a better development experience that leverages the standard. Oh, and this is the only way the standard's going to matter, right? Unless the big libraries jump on and utilize components. And I love that Steve Sanders has done this. We talked to him a, a few months ago yeah. uh, on the show about what he did with Knockout and how it was used in, in the Azure uh, portal and so forth. But it's going to, I mean, you think of the big, it's got to be jQuery. It's got to mm -hmm. be Angular. You know, I think we probably list a dozen that right. if those folks come on board, then web components is a standard because everybody's going to be using it. Right. And it's interesting because that's a political thing, too. It's like you've got to decide that this is worthwhile and provides you some assets. So it's really a question of how hard it is to implement. Like it, if it's trivial, you'll just do it. And what's the big danger and risk that web components will get fragmented and, you know, by each party involved and they'll each try to own it and we have you know what we have this is how the market works what's the danger of that happening well so, so there is some danger there but i feel like that could also be part of what drives what basically gives this whole story inertia yeah. i mean we could look at the the polymer project today so google's out there publishing uh things that basically these components that you can pull right off of the box, right out of the box, and they are really impressive. Now, given those components rely on Polymer and Polymer's libraries. Now, Polymer is really syntactic sugar over the specification. Mm. It adds some goodness that makes it easier to create your own web components. And the concern would be, wow, what if there were a half dozen or a dozen different libraries out there that like Polymer that end up abstracting the standard. And then when I, when you, Richard, go create a component, I can't use your component because yours is written for Polymer and mine's right. using XYZ over here. So yeah, we have the standards, but we can't, we can't just pull each other's components off the shelf because we're all now coding to some other right. syntactic sugar on top of and it. And that's the problem. So we find ourselves fragmented again. Now on the same token, there is some beautiful technology that is at the foundation of web components that we would love to see get out. And if that's the way that we get there, then I say great, because things like the Shadow DOM solve the fundamental problems that we've been struggling with for all these years and finally give us encapsulation of our markup and of our styling. And the Shadow DOM, again, is basically creating, uh, maintaining functional boundaries between the DOMs and 
how they interact with each other. So it sort of brings them all onto one roof. Yeah. Yeah. Shadow Dom is probably to me, the most exciting piece of the specification, because what you, what you find today is if I pull a component off the shelf, all the styling for that component is going to be really wordy and it's going to have some proprietary prefixes on every single style yeah. because we have to make absolutely sure that we don't conflict with somebody else. And the only way right. we can do that is to speculate and say, well, I think I chose a pretty unique prefix here. And I think my styles have been all specific enough that I won't accidentally style some other part of the page. And that's, it's not science, it's art. And it's, it's really a brittle way for us to continue moving forward. Yeah. And with the shadow Dom, I can go in and say, okay, if this div within this component needs to have a red border around it, I can just say div and style that div with a really simple tag because maybe that's the only div within my component. And I have no worries about styling the rest of the page accidentally. And that's a really powerful idea. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. You guessed it, buddy. It's time to embed a user-avatar gravatar that writes an article on my blavatar, gets lots of hititars, gets popular and rake guitars in the cash tar. Wow. <laughs> that was commitment. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. Awesome, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Mark R. Deacon. Congratulations, Mark. Yeah. Go clap for you. And a lot of clappers. I got two clappers today. Nice. You're double clapping. Double clapping. Mark just won the DevCraft collection from Telerik. That's a big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Picked it random. We've done it three times now. We've given, we've given away $15,000 in stuff. Yeah. yeah. Cool stuff, too. Cool stuff. I, yeah. I don't think people quite grasp just how much fun it is for us to give that stuff it away. It really is fun. <laughs> Yeah, but the only way you can win is to sign up. So go to .netrocks.com right now. We also like to ask our guests, Corey, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? Oh, I love this question. Uh, so you guys know I'm big into displays, and I feel like displays are a bit like horsepower. Too much is barely enough. <laughs> yes. How much screen space do I need? More. <laughs> yeah, so, so LG recently announced curved monitors and yeah. i don't know why i am so enamored they have a picture of three of these 34 inch monitors side by side and when you sit them in front of you you get almost oh it's it's not 180 degrees but it is a large arc in front of you with wow. virtually no seams they have tiny little bezels and if i bought three of these then i've pretty well burned up my 5k it would be a beautiful way to get work done what's the resolution on them are they 4k's uh, they are they are not 4K. They're a strange resolution. They're 3440 by 1440. Can we look it up? What's the brand name? It's an LG. 
It is the 34UC97S. Wow. $1,299. $1,300. And and of course you need three. Of course you do. Of course you do. Well, you want one in the center, right? I think you're underplaying the three. It's only 1440 high. You might need a second row above. Uh, I was just thinking that. You guys are a bad influence. <laughs> Six of these would be no awesome. no idea. No idea at all. <laughs> I, I would just have to take up day trading if I had a monitor set up like that. I mean, really? <laughs> yeah, right. And you know, the thing is, I think the curved TVs are a little silly, but curved monitors, because you're in such a close aspect. Yeah. I might be just the thing. Might be. So I have the flat version of this right now, and I will say that's the one thing that bothers me is the edges feel a little far away. And if right. you find virtually anybody that runs two monitors doesn't sit those two monitors flat in front of them. They angle those two monitors. Oh, yeah. yes. A curved screen like this makes so much sense to me. I just wish I could see it in person before I dropped that kind of money. The problem with having two monitors, in, like I have two 30s side by side, it messes with your neck and your back unless you have a curved desk. Mm-hmm. Because your keyboard is f- in front, you know, facing forward, your mouse, but your head is always either cracked to the left or to the right. So I kind of like Richard's setup. I wish I could figure out a setup like that where you have a 30 inch in the middle. So you're right. mostly using a 30 inch. And then you have the wings, the, what are they, 24 inches portraits? They're 20s, but they're, yeah, they're 1600 by 1200. So that I get. Uh, 4960 by 1600. Yeah. Across. And so the wings really do the wingy job. Yeah. And, but the problem is I built that monitor rig, that, that triple in 2006. Yeah. And since I got that brand new Dell 2560 by 1440 with all the latest monitor technology, while these screens are big, they're just not as nice as modern screens. Right. <laughs> and you can't buy 16 by 12 displays anymore. They're obsolete. Isn't that crazy? So I'm never going to have perfectly aligned wings ever again. But that being said, I think I can live without perfectly aligned wings. I need new monitors. (laughs) And when you figure that out, Richard, you give us a call. I think I will. And now I'm starting thinking, I'm not kidding about, I'm thinking about stacking two of these curved 32s, one above the other. So four total? No, no. I think it would be two up and then a pair of wing monitors. Okay. I just don't know about looking up and down. I've never done that before. It depends on what you're doing, right? Like there's there's static information. Maybe it's because I'm more of an IT guy that I have a lot of stuff on my screen at any given time that I need to reference occasionally, but it's nice to have it visible. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wait until HoloLens comes out because uh, it may render all this obsolete. Then everything's a monitor. <laughs> yeah. You'll just put up a white wall. Yeah. <laughs> you win. Everything's a monitor. Yeah. And that's Carl over there in the geeky goggles. Yeah. I could totally dig it. And, you know, Jason Olson came on immediately to my Facebook post and said, you know what I want to see, Carl, is how this works in the studio. And I said, you got it, man. I want to see the digital audio workstation that is in 3D space. And video editing. I mean, yeah. I'm, I've seriously just sat with, you know, leave me alone. I'm in a chair. I'm thinking about what I can do with this for hours. One of them is video editing. I mean, taking pieces out of thin air and just putting them together, stretching them with gestures. There's no screen space limitation. You got stuff ahead. You got 3D space to assemble video. Yeah. I just hope they don't make it impossible to build the software for it. Ah. Oh. You know, Pixel yeah. Sense was such an awesome product that went absolutely nowhere right. because the 
barrier to development was so high. And I feel that way about Connect too. Like it, as much as you have helped yeah. make Connect successful, it's nowhere that it should be because it is just too tough to build for. It's not just me that's helped. I mean, a lot of people have, but you're right. It is difficult to build for. Really an, an important part of the equation. Anyway, uh, Corey, mm-hmm. I, this is why I like having you on the show, not just because you have good content, but because you find some great toys, dude. Yeah. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> awesome, and, awesome. And awesome. I noticed right away, 100 millimeter Visa mount. So I can mount this on a proper tree rig. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Ever since I bought my Ergotron arms, I will never go back to having nope. monitors on stands. Yeah, once you know how monitors can behave. <laughs> All right, Corey, what I want to do is get practical here. Let's say I'm listening to this and I'm like, you know, maybe it's time to start, but I don't want to waste my time. Where do I go first? What do I do? Do you have a prescription for getting into web components today? Well, my prescription First is to ask yourself whether you're even in a situation that you could use any of this in production. If you're someone who's just wanting to toy with this, you can fire up Chrome right now and go hit Plunker or JS Fiddle, whatever, and just start creating. And it runs like a top. Now, I wish I could go encourage everybody to run out and start learning this and using it in production, but I really can't recommend using the polyfills right now because the polyfills, um, it just doesn't feel quite ready for production, honestly, from my perspective. I think we're we're getting closer to that. But I also think that the, the situation right now for anybody that chooses to use, say, Angular or Knockout or Ember or React, whatever it may be, the experience is really quite good in any of those cases. Mm. So it becomes a harder sales pitch for me to tell you right now to go use web components when you might find yourself a little too bleeding edge. Um, learning web components, I think, is a ton of fun. And and having the power of suddenly realizing, wow, I just created this cool reusable component and I didn't have to pull in 14 different libraries. <laughs> that's, right. That's a really fun experience. And you feel like this has to be the future. I mean, anytime that I go demo a single page app that I've built, I feel embarrassed about how many different things I pulled off the shelf. And people look up and they just go, haven't we reached the point of silly? I mean, really, that we need this many things to stand up a single-page application? So Now, tell me what the difference is between this and, say, an ASP.NET Web Forms control that's using AJAX, you know, to do its thing. Okay. In that case, if you're doing a server-side control, it's still going to end up shipping down sure. JavaScript, HTML, CSS, right? Right, but you never, you never have to touch it, though. Yeah, that is that is certainly true. So the difference is here, this is a really nice story for anybody that's doing client-side development. And you could, of course, send any of this stuff down from the server, but it finally gives us this standardized way that, hey, it doesn't really matter. In the near future, it won't matter whether you've chosen to use X framework or X library. You'll be able to enjoy the web components that you used on that previous project. So being able to spin those up, because what, what you just described there, like the, a common story uh, might be using Telerik controls, for instance. Well, that sure. is a commitment to, to Telerik in that case. If mm-hmm. you ended up going to another tooling vendor, then you would need to obviously rewrite your component. But with this standard client-side approach, whatever components you wrote on that previous project, you should be able to just crane right over and reuse again elsewhere. Because don't you think the holy grail is what we started with in ASP.NET, which is just drag and drop these controls and 
spin them around and do whatever we want to with them and then they just work i mean i'm not talking about drag and drop you know obviously even if we're doing xaml development you know we're not we're not using a visual editor mm-hmm. i'm I'm, t- I'm really just talking about you know that experience where i i buy a whole set of these things or i get some free ones i plug in a couple of lines in my in my website and set a few properties and it just works Absolutely. That future gets me really excited. I think in particular, looking at the future of the web and seeing the standards bodies saying, you know what, everybody is using the star rating control. For some reason, it has just caught fire and it's on 15% of all websites that that have any kind of ratings. Maybe we should consider making this star rating control a native part of the spec put it into the specification and now browsers will start shipping it out. And now you don't even have to download those assets every time. So what web components are going to let us do is finally have the broad web, have people that are contributing to GitHub finally help drive the future of the standard. And I think that's that's really exciting to slowly see the standards bodies listen and say, wow, this is really popular we might as well bring this into the standard instead of this other way around where we wait for the standards bodies to, to ratify new things and bring them into the spec. So you've obviously, as you said, not ready for prime time. Don't expect to be shipping with this. However, if you get a leg up now and, uh, you know, watch your plural site course, for example, HTML5 web component fundamentals, you'll do you, th- you think you'd be in a much better position once uh, they're everywhere and you, you do feel confident that they will be everywhere, right? Oh, yeah. I, I feel very confident about that. The, the timeline of it is, is what's up in the air. And I mean, I also feel like more and more we're finding people that are lucky enough to be able to say, hey, I'm just writing for Chrome. And that's cool because maybe I'm doing some internal application and everybody's right. cool with using that browser. If that's your story, then web components are totally there today. And I highly recommend looking into it and seeing whether um, that's the direction you want to go. There's really not a lot of reason not to try it if you're in that case. So once we hit that point that uh, all the major browsers have the support or that the polyfills are really well vetted, and the polyfill may be right now. Frankly, I haven't spent enough time with it to feel comfortable uh, sitting on the show and telling everybody, yeah, go build production apps using Mm. the polyfill. Mm -hmm. Right. I think also... We need to see more clarity around exactly what the what browsers are supported through that polyfill. I've hunted around and I've never found that a canonical list that says, here's what we're testing, here's what we support. And just to be clear, we're talking about a couple of lines of code to instantiate this thing. Then you have properties, uh, methods, and events and event handlers, just like we would do in C Sharp, for example. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, you have a you have a life cycle and you can attach to events and say okay, when this attribute changes, I'd like this certain code to run because the real goal is that anybody that uses your HTML5 web component, it should feel just like a native HTML uh, tag. It should operate the same way. We sh- we expect that when we change attributes on the input tag, that things happen. When I change the value attribute through JavaScript, I expect the UI to show that new value inside that input, right? And that's exactly the same experience that we can create through these native components. We have the same APIs at our disposal. All right. Right now, I mean, in the HTML5 evolution, we had tag fragmentation from the major vendors, 
right? Mm -hmm. Some of the games that they played in the CSS space with how they were doing curve radius and so forth, where suddenly like each vendor had their own version of these tags. Now we're going to have custom elements. Everybody can build tags. Mm -hmm. How is this not going to be hell? <laughs> well, I think it's a different kind of hell. Whether it's nicer or not, I've heard people show real concern about the fact that it's going to be just this really bizarre tag soup where yes. you look at everybody's markup and it doesn't mean anything to you because it's all proprietary. Yeah, and it's, and you got to think everybody's going to put a branding prefix dash something, you know, the same way that, that MS and WebKit and, you know. Uh, that That very well may be. I'm afraid, Corey. So, so tell me this. How do you guys feel about the fact that if you go out and look at Gmail, go look at Twitter, go look at Stack Overflow, it doesn't matter. Look at their source and all it is is divs. It's divs yeah. everywhere. Div, 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 divs div, div, everywhere. Div, 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 div. Divs with class names. Yep. Yes, yes. So the question is, if that alternative view where they have a bunch of custom elements sitting in here, is why would that be worse than a whole bunch of divs that tell me nothing? And arguably, it's better. You got rid of the div because in the end, it's the class name that matters. Now that's the tag. Right. Yes. What I like about it is clean JavaScript, which uh, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> the possibility of having clean JavaScript and, you know, looking like, uh, you know, the code behind for a WPF app, for example, mm -hmm. that really, really appeals to me. I mean, that's the big problem is just this interactive uh, interspersed goo all over the place. I love having that out of my view and all that tested code just, you know, so we're talking about code reuse and not necessarily better performance, but better productivity, which leads to more stable code mm -hmm. and cleaner code, more maintainable code. And that that's huge. Right. Well, and you're very likely to be pulling things off the shelf that have been vetted and run on a number of different sites, which today is often only the case if you pull a component from a vendor of some sort. If I if I choose to yeah. use Kindo UI, for instance, or jQuery UI, at least that has been vetted and used on a lot of different sites. Right. But in many cases, when some individual uh, like myself just tries to create my own components, it's it's a lot of work to make sure that it is truly cross-browser compatible. So we're going to see, uh, I think, a lot more stability in the future as people say, okay, look, this this has 500 stars on GitHub. I can see there's a couple open issues, but it looks like it's uh, very actively maintained. This is a component I can pull off the shelf and use in my application, and I can sleep at night. And I love the idea of a component auto-sensing bootstrap, you know, or CSS in general, and just morphing to it. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about because fewer attributes are always better. Yeah, you know, like you you hit me hard with the whole div tag thing there, Corey, because it's just a wasted space. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. In the end, it's the class name that matters. But as soon as you have an attribute that applies to everything in your page, that every page has this attribute somewhere on it, why is it an attribute? That's like having a do stuff method with a parameter method the stuff you want to right. do. Right. You know, like, what are we doing? Yeah. Well, and we saw these new tags introduced in HTML5, and you know, now we have have the article, and we have navigation, and that was a step in the right direction. But it's very clear that we need a lot more power because as we continue to just create div tags everywhere, we're losing the descriptive nature of our markup. It makes it uh, just as a developer, I find 
it can be difficult navigating my markup now because the divs aren't really helping me get anywhere. It's okay, it's the seventh nested div on this page that I need. <laughs> and I really have to look for the class or the ID because that's truly the identifier that's helping me navigate my code now, not the div. Right. That, is, that, that does seem to be healthier. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk resources. Where, where can we go and what can we get? <laughs> sure. So the I would say the center of the story is webcomponents.org. It is uh, a list of all sorts of different uh, resources. They have regular blog posts out there. They're keeping track of the specification. Um, I, I will also say that I found HTML5 Rocks to be an excellent resource uh, for really uh, getting out there. And, and if you're somebody who learns by reading blogs, they have some of the best blog posts on this topic. And really, Shadow DOM 101, they have about three different posts that really help take away the mystery of the Shadow DOM. Because it's not a trivial thing to understand when you look at all the different moving pieces, all the new CSS selectors that we have. And uh, once you go through those, I think you'll feel like you have a pretty good foundation. Is the... Um the web component spec on GitHub seems to be constantly updated. There's a bunch of contributors to it. Is, is this relevant to the discussion? Well, so, so what do you mean by relevant? You sound skeptical. Well, yeah, you know, there's always like just looking in, in my research on web components. I found a lot of dead wikis. The W3 site basically says, don't look at this anymore. Like I'm trying to find out where the real conversation about what's going to happen here is going on. So that's a really good question. I, I can't say offhand where the, I mean, if you're wanting to know where the latest conversation on specification sits, the canonical reference, I can't say offhand. Um, I have, I have ended up uh, over in W3C specifications and, uh, I've, I end up often clicking from here to here to here and keep finding, oh, okay, yes, this is not the, the latest conversation either. This is a previous specification. So, um, yeah, I wish I had that handy. I just don't. Okay. Well, I'll provide the link because at least this has had an update every week or so. But it does seem like a bulk of the conversation around web components happened in the summer of 2014, and it's kind of died down right now. And the question is, has it died down because the specification is finally settled? Right. I, it, I like it when it dies down because people are busy building things. Mm -hmm. Because th that's the thing. It is a published specification, and right. Chrome and Opera are already fully following that specification. Right. So, yeah, maybe this is maybe it's quiet because it's done, not because it's dead. I like to be an optimist in this front. That sounds great to me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and another place that I recommend looking is um, you can go out to Component Kitchen. That's component.kitchen. And there's all sorts of different components out there that people have published. So if you want to get an idea of what you can do with web components and fiddle with some different components, you can easily pull these off the shelf, run them in your browser, and just see how it all works. Kick the tires. It's To me, it's a lot of fun uh, getting inspired by looking at what other people have created. Wait a second. Kitchen is a suffix? Yes. It's a TLD. What the? What? Top level domain, what, by the now way. Now do you have four or five you need to go register right away? Or? <laughs> yeah. yeah Hells.kitchen. Kitchen? Yes. <laughs> Soul.kitchen. Hells.kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Those probably oh, already that's probably so it doesn't look real component.kitchen it does not like just i look at the url and go oh that's a typo that's funny why does this exist the, the, i mean I'm, i appreciate the page the page is good the site is good why does dot kitchen exist 
we're in this new world where I thought pretty much anything can be a, a TLD now. I mean, that's true. It's just that you still have to get an agreement going up to ICANN to make that actually happen. I'm just kind of in awe that Kitchen's one of the ones that's happened. You know, there's plenty of TLDs that have been fought about a lot. But Richard, there's already over a dozen sites that are using .kitchen. There you go. A dozen? <laughs> yeah. A dozen? That's rampant Woo! speculation, but it can't be much higher than that. I mean, really. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I just pulled up the popular domains in the .kitchen TLD. It's remodel, supplies, <laughs> contractors, your name, you know, your company. Here's the thing. After search engines got so good, those domain names just don't matter anymore. Yeah, you're totally right. They just don't. You could be at foo.blah.com slash this, that, the other thing. It doesn't matter. If, if you're Google searchable, you're you're there. Yep. The biggest problem that I would see is somebody's going to type .com on the end of .kitchen. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> All day Now long. I have to try it to see what happens. Yeah, so one of the guys uh, in App V Next says about Spartan, as in, you will feel dead after battling with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, it suddenly hit me. It's got to suck to own kitchen.com now. Yeah. Like how much traffic? <laughs> how much traffic are you now getting? You'll probably get more. Yeah, lots more. Like That costs you money. You're going to have to do something with it. Yeah. Never thought of that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Corey, what can you tell us about your fundamentals class on Pluralsight? So the fundamentals course is really a story of selling you on the pain that you feel today. Um, <laughs> Sold. Yes. I mean, <laughs> so I got to watch a class for that. What are you oh, crazy? Oh. <laughs> I got to pay for that. I know that already. <laughs> well, so that was what I realized, though, is I found myself really excited about web components, and I had to sit down and go, well, why why at its core is this so exciting? What pain is it solving for me? Yeah. And that's how I spend my whole first module, is talking about the five core pains that we're dealing with today as web developers. And we've become so numb to it because it's just been around for so long. Right. So to see this sitting on the horizon is really exciting, and I feel like it's it's well worth learning the fundamentals now because my sales pitch for the fundamentals course is it makes sense to learn because what you're going to find is whatever framework you're working with today is going to become more and more like that specification as time goes on. Yeah. It's, it's, going to, it's going to have to. People are going to move in the direction of this standard. So you might as well understand that standard because in many cases you'll be working with an abstraction of it in the near future. Well said, and good advice. It's good to be early. Definitely. Corey, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, 
and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the 